Hello again. I've got to tell you this. So the, the uh, little boy who said, you know, when, when uh, Tim asked him who would win in a fight, Pastor Joe or your, or your father, the father was Brad who was just standing here giving the announcements. <laughs> and I said in the first service, my money's on Brad. I just want you to know. So again, yeah, I love Joe. I'm, I'm going to take Brad in that fight probably uh, every time. Hey, we're going to be continuing in our series, Nearsighted. And we're going to be looking at Genesis 39 this morning. So if you want to turn there, you can. Before we get there, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Joseph has been through a very traumatic period of time in his life. He was a, 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 the favorite son of a wealthy family. And now he is a slave in a, in a foreign country. And I want us to see how walking through that series of events really changed him. He became a more humble, more mature, God-fearing young man than he had before. And here's the question uh, that I want to start off sort of the morning with. How have difficult circumstances impacted you in your life? You see, often when we experience those kinds of circumstances, we can respond in anger or frustration, or, or we can kind of blame other people. We can become, if we're honest, more and more bitter at times. But we can also, instead, we can become more and more humble, more teachable, more open to what God wants to do in our lives. Here's, here's what I've discovered, and this is in your sermon notes, which is in your bulletin if you want to follow along. We often focus on what, but God focuses on who. We often focus on what. But God focuses on who. So what do I mean by that? Often we focus on our circumstances, what's happening to us, what's happening around us, what is going on. But God focuses on who we become as a result of those circumstances. He's focused on the who. And as we read about Joseph and Potiphar's wife, we have to realize that Joseph has become a different person. That's the only way that he's able to respond to these circumstances the way he does. But there were difficult circumstances. He came through, but it brought about changes in his life. And, and, and we don't know all that changed. We don't know all we'd like to know about Joseph, but here's a few things that we do know. He knows that God is with him. He's made pleasing God a priority in his life. And he also he has a relationship with God so that he knows what is right and wrong in God's eyes. Let me say one more thing before we jump into this story. Pastor Joe made clear last week that God had blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. Joseph, even though he was a slave, served Potiphar the best he could, worked for him the best he could, wanted what was best for him. And so he became really a conduit of blessing, God's blessing into Potiphar's life and into Potiphar's family. And I just want to remind us that we as a community of believers, we too can be a conduit of God's blessing into our community of Butler. We should serve them well. We should want what is best for them, the people of Butler, so that we can be channels of that blessing, God's blessing. Always we need to remember it's God's blessing, not ours, but we have the privilege of being a conduit of that blessing, just like Joseph was for Potiphar. All right, let's look at this passage. I want to read it this morning, starting in verse 6. Uh, just a quick recap of that verse, and then we'll read through verse 20. It says this, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. 
with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joe talked about that last week. Then it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that, she, that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to, make, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners are confined. I want us to just step through this story a a little bit and, and, and learn a couple of lessons to see a few truths that we can then apply into our own life. And actually the first lesson that I want us to see comes from looking at Potiphar's wife as it relates to temptation. You see, here's what I want to say. If there's a a sin that you continually struggle with, if there's something in your life that it's hard for you to resist, then I would encourage you to change your routine in such a way so that you're not around that thing. You're not attracted to that sin. Because if we look at Potiphar's wife, she does really the exact opposite of that. And here's, here's a lesson we can learn. We cannot put ourselves in proximity of something or someone that will cause us to sin in thought or in action and then expect not to sin, not to fall to that temptation. It's very clear that day after day, she approached Joseph. It would make sense that day after day, she looked at Joseph. She was in his presence. In fact, wanted to be with him as much as she could be. And that obviously led her to to, to not be able to resist. Now, I understand she really didn't want to resist that temptation. But the longer she was with him, the, the more desire was built up within her. And that happens with us as well. So I want us to just look at that brief lesson before we now turn our attention to Joseph and see what we can learn through his actions, through his words. And and actually, to start, I want to see what we can learn through his response to Potiphar's wife when she says, come be with me. He, He gives her an answer. He says no, and he really gives three reasons. He says that Potiphar has given him access to everything in the house except her. And it would be a great abuse of that trust that he has put into Joseph if he said yes. The second thing is that it would be an offense against her husband. Culturally, it was wrong. It would be inappropriate. And then he says very clearly it would be evil. It would be a sin against God. Really, Joseph is, is saying there are, there are three reputations at stake. 
Joseph's reputation, Potiphar's reputation, and God's reputation. And he says, I will not make a decision that will negatively impact any of those reputations. And so he says no. It's clear from the story that her advances didn't, didn't just last a week or two. They went on and on and on. She tried to wear him down. She tried to draw him in. She wanted him to give in. But Joseph continued to say no. In verse 10, it says, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. It, it makes clear that he was taking every precaution to stay away from her, not to just sort of be as close as he could to her, but still say no. In short, really, he did the exact opposite of what she was doing, right? She was wanting to be with him, was with him, in his presence as much as possible. But this verse tells us he did all he could to not be in her presence so that he would be able to say no. He didn't even get close to her. Verse 11 shows that Joe talked about this last week. Uh, you know, Joseph stayed focused on his work, really. It says he went in to attend to his duties, but then it adds that none of the servants were in the house. And we don't know if that's because Potiphar's wife arranged it or that's just the way it worked out. But what we do know is that Potiphar's wife took the opportunity to, to be even more brazen in her attempt to get Joseph to be with her. It says really she grabbed him, grabbed him by her, his, his clothing, tells him exactly what she wants. And in that split second, Joseph doesn't decide to kind of consider her offer or stick around or, or look at her. Scripture's really clear. He flees. He runs away. He ran out of the house. In fact, he ran so quickly that he didn't have all his clothing. Some of it was still in her hand. Because of the word that's used for clothing, it's sort of a general enough term. We don't know exactly what clothing was left behind. It, it, it was either sort of his main outer garment, which means Joseph was outside with just his undergarments on, or it actually could be, some people believe that it was actually sort of one of his undergarments that she got a hold of and, and kind of literally ripped it off. Here's what we do know. Joseph was now outside and everyone that saw him would know he was not wearing the proper amount of clothing. That we know. It would have been inappropriate for him to be outside in that type of clothing as he ran out of the house. Joseph did what we're told to do in 1 Corinthians 6. It says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their body. So often, the Word of God doesn't tell us all that we'd like to know. In this case, it's pretty clear when faced with sexual temptation, get away, run, flee, separate yourself. There's not a lot of ambiguity in that. And that's exactly what Joseph did. But you know, often, I believe we do the opposite. We, we don't flee. We stay in front of that computer a little longer. And we look at those images. We watch the television and we watch that movie a little longer. Or we watch yet another one. Or we spend time maybe searching on Facebook for someone we haven't seen for a long time for the wrong reason. Maybe we linger and we spend time sort of building an, an emotional connection with someone who's not our spouse. We need to flee. That's what God's word says. 
And that's what Joseph does. You see, we can choose to be nearsighted and think, it's not a problem. Really, nothing's going to happen. Just, just hang out a little while longer. Everyone's doing it anyway. God's word is clear. So at this moment in the story, Joseph runs away. And Potiphar's wife is literally left not holding the bag, but the rag that's left of his clothing. And so she now is faced with this problem. She knows that Joseph is outside the house without the right amount of clothing. What's she going to do? She, she really doesn't have long to, to think through this, really. And so she decides very quickly that she's going to lie, that she's going to put together this story. It may be, we don't, we don't know what she was thinking. It may be that she was angry, probably. She may have been embarrassed because he's running away and he's yet again saying no. Maybe she was just angry and decided, you know what, I've had enough, I'm going to get back at him. Often our sin, our sin, our failure, it leaves us in a state of anger. And often our sin then leads us to more sin. That's what happened with her. She decides she's going to lie. You see, we can feel shame and embarrassment, and it can make us lash out at other people. Has that ever happened to you? Even though we were the cause of our embarrassment, our shame, our pain. I think that's what happened in this case. She was angry, but really at herself. But she wanted Joseph to pay. As I said, I don't know for sure what she was thinking, but here's what I can tell you I've seen happen in my life. When I sin, I, I can get angry at myself, frustrated at myself. Again, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. And, and then that, in turn, leads me to, to treat others not the way they deserve to be treated. Either I don't listen to them, I, get, can, easily, I can get easily frustrated with them. And so that sin leads to more sin. That's what happened in Joseph's brother's life, right? They make that quick decision. Let's throw them in here and now let's sell them and, and then they have to lie. That's what happens here with Potiphar's wife. She sins and then she's got to keep sinning, keep telling this lie about Joseph. And maybe that's happened in your life as well. And that's why it's critical. It's critical that when we do sin in our lives, we have to immediately go to God and we have to seek forgiveness. We have to turn away from that sin and go and seek forgiveness, ask it, receive that forgiveness, receive cleansing and have him set our feet on the right path so that we can be free from guilt and free from shame and we can stop sinning. So critical for us to do that. Praise God we have the opportunity to do that and he will forgive us. So Potiphar's wife, like Joseph, just before her, really only has an instant to respond because she knows, again, Joseph is outside. People are going to see him, and they're going to begin to surmise, perhaps, what happened. And so in that moment, she reacts and decides, as we know, she's going to lie. She's going to sin. Just a moment before that, Joseph had made a decision to flee so that he would not sin. And so we can learn a truth, really, through their actions. It's this. In moments when we react quickly, 
or respond instantly, our character is revealed. At those moments, we don't have time to sort of give the Christian response. We don't have time to sort of put on our happy face, our our happy mask, if you will. Who we are shows through in that instant and our reaction. And that indicates our character. It also indicates our level of maturity as a follower of Jesus. How we respond in an instant, how we react, gives insight into those things. Maybe you've never thought about that before, but a great question, two questions really to ask ourselves, what do my quick reactions and responses say about my character? What do they say about my maturity level as a follower of Jesus? They're indicators. Back to our story, Potiphar's wife, we know, uh, decides to tell this story. So she calls the servants in. Again, this happened very quickly, I'm sure, and said, this is what happened. He came in, and I yelled, and he let his, he, here's, here's his garment. He let it lie right here, and he left. And then it says that she waited for Potiphar to come home and told a similar story again. She makes a big deal that he just left it lay here, this, this, his garment, even though what really happened was it was in her hand. But she doesn't want that story known, so she makes it clear. He just left it here. In, in, she actually indicates really to Potiphar that, hey, this is partially your fault because she says it was, you know, it was you who brought this Hebrew slave into the house, it says. So in verses 19 and 20, we see that Potiphar hears this story and he gets angry, and it says he puts Joseph into prison. Many Bible commentators, a lot of Bible scholars believe that the fact that he put him in prison really indicates that Potiphar didn't believe his wife, that he didn't trust her story. And the reason is because what normally would have happened to a slave who had done that is he would have just been immediately executed. No questions asked. So we're not sure if Potiphar didn't really believe her or if God just moved in a way to miraculously save Joseph. But instead of Uh, him being executed, he's thrown into prison. We we don't know for sure why, but we know that's what happened. Here's what we do know. We know that Joseph's life, again, takes another difficult turn. And through no fault of his own, he ends up in prison. Prison. The favored son of a wealthy family. Hasn't seen his family in more than a decade, probably, when this story takes place. And now he finds himself in prison. What I want us to do is backtrack just a little and, and ask a question that I hope is, uh, is sort of burning within you this morning. And that question is this. How did Joseph say no? And what can we learn from his example? He was tempted over and over again for a long period of time, and he said no. How is that possible? The truth of the matter is, I could preach probably two sermons to answer that question. There's lots of reasons. There's lots of ways. I want us to just look at one thing uh, that as I studied this over the last few weeks, God brought to my mind and made really clear, and it's this. Joseph, so how did he say no? Joseph had his priorities clear in his heart and mind, and he was able to live out those priorities when the temptation came. It's critical. You see, we said that Joseph has changed over this last decade or so. He's, he's a different person. 
And it seems very clear that at some point previous, he had decided he was going to live a life in a certain way and he was not going to sin. He was not going to do something that displeased God. And so when the time comes, he says no, because his mind's already made up. It's already set. The heart of the issue really is Potiphar's wife is, she's promising happiness, pleasure, satisfaction, but Joseph saw the offer for what it really was. He calls it, in, in one translation, a great wickedness and a sin against God. If Joseph had been nearsighted, it would have been easy to think, Potiphar's never going to know. Who's going to find out? My life will be better. It'll be pleasurable. It'll be easier. But those are what he would have seen if he had his nearsighted lenses on. But he saw the far-off consequences, and he knew that if he did this, he would be sinning against God. He would be going against his priorities, the decision he had already made. He was going to live a certain way. And we, we, we said earlier in 1 Corinthians 6 that when someone sins, when we sin sexually, we also sin against our own body. The impact of that sin would have, would have been on Joseph for a long time. But he said no. He had already decided before the temptation came he was going to live life this way. And so when the, when the promise comes, he sees it as an empty promise. When the offer comes, he realizes what it really is saying. It, 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 he doesn't believe the lie. He knows it's a sin. And he was so convinced that he ran out of the house without all his clothes on. That's convinced. He was going to do whatever it took to keep his priorities and to live them out. Psalm 111 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. What I love about this is Joseph knew the truth of this verse before this verse existed as a verse. It wasn't written yet, but he knew it. He was living it out. He showed great wisdom. He showed great understanding, and he fled. He got out of there. Sexual sin, like most sin, wants us to believe a lie one of many lies no one will ever know. It's only this one time. It's really, it's not a problem. Everyone's doing it anyway. You know what, you deserve this. <laughs> It'll feel good. It tells us to stick around a little bit longer. You don't have to do anything, just, just, just hang out. Just be in close proximity. And so to have understanding, like this verse says, means that we see it for what it really is, not for what it promises in the moment. We understand. That's understanding, and Joseph had it. So have you decided to follow God's plan? Do you have your priorities set so that when a temptation comes, you'll be able to see it for what it really is and make the choice, like Joseph did, to say no to that. I'm going to stick to my priorities and live a life I've already decided to live. What does that look like? I'd love to give you a few practical examples. And, and what I need to say is, once we've decided we're going to live this way, if an opportunity comes along for us to live a little bit of a different way and not follow that priority, it may not even be sin, but it may be that it gets us away from those priorities we've already decided to live by. So let me give you just a few practical examples. Will you follow the priority of living a life with integrity or will you take cash 
for the work you do so that you don't have to report it? Will you follow the priority of investing time into your children? Or will you go hunting one more time? Or shooting one more time? Or golfing one more time? Or stay at work a few more hours one more time? Or maybe take that offer of overtime one more time? Will you set the priority and live by that, pure, that, that priority to live a life of purity? Or will you let lust sort of draw you in to think about things and look at things and participate in things that are sin? Will you follow the priority of becoming spiritually mature, spending time in God's word and praying, or will you keep hitting the snooze button in the morning and say, you know, not today. I, I won't pray today. I won't read scripture today. Will you follow the priority of making your marriage the best it can be? Or will you daydream about that guy at work? Men, will you think about the woman down the street? Those are practical examples of saying, I'm going to live a certain way, so am I going to? Or am I going to do the opposite? Am I going to step outside those priorities? Joseph kept his priorities in line. And that enabled him to say no. And it can enable us to say no as well. In those critical moments, we can withstand that temptation. So, so what I'd, I'd love to do, first I have some good news, right? We who are followers of Jesus, we have some advantages. We have a, a huge advantage over Joseph when it comes to, to living this way. You see, we have some resources at our disposal that he didn't have at his. Let me, let me share those with you quickly. First, we have the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, I walk by the Spirit. I will not glorify the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Lives in us, controls us if we let him leads us if we let him so that we can say no to sin. Second thing is God's word, the word of God. Second Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we read God's word, the Holy Spirit teaches us. He, he shows us what this verse, what this passage means for me, how we can apply it to my life so that we can become more mature. The Word of God is a, an integral part of the sanctification process in our lives. Number three is prayer. Now, I want to say Joseph did have this resource available to him, but he wasn't able to pray as we are because Jesus had not yet died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin. We have free access into the throne room of God, Scripture tells us. And Matthew 26 makes so clear how prayer is important when it comes to temptation. It says this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In prayer, we can ask God for help. We can also hear his voice. We speak to him. He speaks to us. He can lead us in a direction that takes us away from temptation that we never even knew existed because we're following him. We can also ask him to keep us from temptation. He tells us that when he, uh, his disciples say to him, teach us how to pray, and one of the things he says is, pray that it would lead us not into temptation. We can ask God that. We can also ask him for strength that at that moment, we can allow the Holy Spirit to live through us and enable us to say no to that temptation. And then the last thing is fellow believers. 
You know, this is one way being involved in a, a smaller community here at Community Alliance Church can be so helpful, to live the life we desire to live. Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Do you have that kind of a, a group of people like that in your life who spur you on toward love and good deeds? And I hope so. I hope so. And if you do, let me encourage you, let them know you appreciate them. Say thank you this week to them. And if not, then I'd encourage you to, to look for a life group, to look for a ministry group here at CAC so that that group or a subset of that group could become those people in your life who know you well, who spur you on toward love, who can hold you accountable to live the life you have desired to live. So these are the resources that God has given us. They're, they're part of his plan to let us set these priorities in our lives so that when we're faced with temptation, whether it happens like that or over a long period of time, we can say no. So have you set your priorities? That's the question for this morning. Have you set priorities in your life and said, God, I'm going to live this way? Are you using those resources? Are, are, are you using God's word? Are you in it regularly so that you can see how it applies to your life? Do you spend time in prayer seeking to hear from the Lord as well as ask him to lead you, ask him for wisdom and understanding like Psalm 111 says? And then do you have a, a group of people who spur you on toward love to live the life that you are committed to living? I hope you can answer yes to those questions. If you can't, the good news is you can start today. I want to encourage you this week to if you, if you don't have your priorities set, I man, I think it'd be great to have them written out. This is how I'm going to live my life. If you haven't done that, spend some time in prayer this week. Spend some time reading scripture this week and ask God to lead you to define this is how I'm going to live so that when that moment comes where you have an opportunity to live outside of those priorities, you, like Joseph, can say, no, I'm not going to do it. That's what I desire in my life. I desire to live that way, and I desire that for you as well, to be able to live that way. And we know that God desires that for us. And that's my prayer this morning. Let me pray for you. Father God, would you, would you speak? Lord, would you bring encouragement where it's necessary and conviction where it's necessary? Father, I pray, I pray this morning that those that, that haven't decided to live by your priorities, that haven't set them out, this is how I'm going to live my life. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them and, and convince them to do that. And those that have, Father, would you give us your spirit that we might follow those convictions, we might follow those priorities and live by them so that we can say no to temptation and live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate you being here this morning. Have a good day. Come back next week to see what happens to Joseph once he's in prison. Thanks. Thanks.